0: Are you glad you came this morning already? Man, I am. The king is in the room. He is. We believe that because his word tells us that. Where two or more are gathered in his name, which we are, then he is here. Amen? He's here because we are here and we are the temple of his Holy Spirit here on the earth. Amen? Amen. He is here with us today. Man, we wrap up our signs series today. We've been at this for a while, looking at the end time signs and what is to be our response about it. So we've attempted to answer some questions along the way. We've attempted to answer this question. Are we in the last days, the end times? Here's the answer to that. Yes. Jesus said that the time is coming, and in fact, was then even, that would be the last days the new testament writers wrote in these last days so any time after the ascension of jesus christ until now has been the last days the time is approaching in which he will come and capture and rapture his bride away that will kick off another end time set of events so the better question might be are these the times today that the Bible refers to as the tribulation period. Is this the time that we the church should be concerned that we are entering into a time of great persecution, of wrath the world has yet to see? Is that what this is? The answer to that is no. That's not what this time is. I recognize there has been and will be persecution For believers in Jesus Christ, Jesus promised that. This time that we are in right now is not the period known of in the scriptures as the great tribulation. That time follows the rapture of the church. This is not the time when we are going to see the Antichrist. I believe the church will be raptured before that. I believe that's what the scripture teaches. This is not our time to fear. We have not been appointed to wrath. This is not our time to be concerned that God has left us and we are about to need to head for the hills, pack up some guns and some food, and do the best we can. That's not this time. Amen? This is our time as the church to be filled with greater hope and vision and passion than we've ever been before. And that is what we've attempted to do through this series, is gain some hope. This is not our time to run. This is not our time to fear. This is not our time to hide. This is not the time to stop doing what we've been called to do, to go and make disciples. One of the things that tells me that this is not that time is that, Had the early church been convinced that that is what would happen next, that great tribulation, great persecution in the form of God's wrath being poured out upon the earth, in terms of being in that period when the wrath of God has come, if that had been what was next, then the early church would not have kept planting churches. They would not have kept instructing, instructing husbands and wives what it meant to be a picture of the church on planet earth. They would not have kept instructing parents that they have been made a heritage of the Lord to pass on life and to keep having babies and to keep having grandchildren and keep training them up in the Lord. Had that been what was next, the early church would have run for the hills and the book of Acts would have been the last thing written. Really? Think about it. There wouldn't have been a need for Ephesians. There wouldn't have been a need for Romans. Why do we need to learn about being dead to sin and alive to God in Christ if we're just gonna head for the hills and persecution's coming and it's all terrible? There wouldn't have been a book of Philippians about the need for joy in the midst of going through the daily routine of life. There wouldn't have been 1 Corinthians teaching about faith and hope and love. There wouldn't have been all the other New Testament books if the next thing that was going to happen was going to be the wrath of God poured out on the earth. But that's not what happened. And so that's not what's happening today. This is not our day to live in fear and terror. Now, I get it. There's some weird stuff happening today. I get it. Are we getting closer? Yes, yes. Is this that time? No, this is not that time. This is the time to be filled with great hope at what God is doing. This is the time that you and I live out what we've been called to be as the church. You and I are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. You are the representative of him here on this planet. You and I are the ambassadors for reconciliation. We are the ones who show the world what it looks like to be made right with God. You and I are the ones who have the answer, the only answer for what it means to know God through Jesus Christ. That is our calling, and this is our day. We have been made the pillar and the ground of truth. I'm not apologetic about that. I'm not afraid to say that. The church alone has been given the answer to life. The church alone knows that the way to God is through Jesus Christ. The church alone has that answer. We are not one of many answers. We are the only answer. I will not bow to their, their claims that we have lost our minds, that we are bigots, that we are crazy, that we don't know. We're just one of many ways. We need to stay in our box and stay on Sunday and stay out of the culture. Wrong. We've been called to penetrate the culture. We've been called to be the light of the world. We've been called to be the salt of the earth, and we will take our message out, and we will seek captive, set free. Amen? Amen. This is our day. This is our time. Are y'all with me this morning? You're here. All right. All right. Just want make sure. This is our calling. This is our day. There is a, uh, a message that you and I have been called to boldly proclaim that Jesus is the way. And you know, we do a lot here at Vertical to talk about how to live the vertical life. We talk about how, to, how that works out in our marriages, in our homes, in our career, in our finances, and in our emotions, all of those things. And that's important. But more than just how we get along, what we might call our horizontal relationships, what's more important is the vertical relationship that you and I have with Jesus Christ. That is more important than anything. That is why we exist. That is what our message is to a world today. You're confused in your life. You're struggling with stuff that you don't know the answers for your home is falling apart, your your life is falling apart, your world is falling apart, then it's time to turn to God in Christ and establish, first of all, a vertical relationship with Jesus Christ. That is primary. That is our message here. That is where our name comes from. That is what drives us in our passion and our vision. The world would have us believe today that a vertical relationship is really not all that important. In fact, they would say, well, that's an option you can choose if you want to believe that. Just if you do, stay out of our world, stay in your box, stay on your Sundays, and stay on Sunday mornings, and keep it within your own walls. Help yourself to all that, but don't let it come into our world. The world would say today, there is no creator, we just evolved, we're just from some primordial ooze, we just somehow made it here by some freak chance of nature, mother nature, who has somehow got us all here wrong. We have been placed here by God, who sovereignly designed, intricately designed, and wove us in our mother's wombs that we might have life here on this planet Earth. Amen? He's a sovereign designer of that. We are not just a mass of tissues. We are critically, uniquely, wisely designed by God, made in his image. The world would have you believe today that there is no right or wrong, that there is no truth and lie. There are only your feelings and your ideas, and every man has his own truth. Every man has his own way. Every man has his own faith. Wrong. There's only one way to God through Jesus Christ. There is a right. There is a wrong. There is a law from God. There is a Lord who has designed us all and who holds man accountable for his actions, his thoughts, and his deeds. Every bit of it. There's coming a day when this Lord will return He'll catch his church away, us, and there'll be a day in which every person who has not believed in Jesus Christ will have to stand before him, and they will have to give account for their lives, every one of them. For those who put their faith in Jesus Christ, ours were paid for on the cross. Ours were paid for that day, and the moment you and I believed, those were set free from us. I'm unashamed to say that my sins are no longer held against me. They are not over me. I don't carry them. God does not hold them against me. There is no condemnation for me in Jesus Christ. Not because I'm special, but because Jesus Christ paid for my sins. And by faith in him, I have release and forgiveness. Amen. 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 The world would say there is no judgment coming. The world would say there is no hell. The world would say there is no heaven. The world would say there is no king who sits on the throne who holds man accountable. They couldn't be more wrong. And the lifestyle and the culture and the appearance of the world today proves how utterly chaotic and devastating what they believe is. What a day to live and to be followers of Jesus Christ and stand for truth. You and I were not designed and made for just this life. You and I were designed for an eternity with Jesus Christ. This is just set up. This is just preparation. This is just what's going to prepare us for that day, the day that you and I see him face to face and are in heaven with him forever amen that is what we live for that is what we set our hopes on that is why we exist and that is where we come to in the final part of our series today as we think about what it means to be in heaven forever that's kind of of those things it's hard to wrap your mind around you know i can think about history i can think about dates in the past i can think about maybe some dates in the future but if you want to tell me that there's a forever that has no end to it uh, in a kingdom where there's a king who reigns forever and ever and ever and ever, all of a sudden my mind just goes, thunk. it just kind of stops like, uh, I don't even know how to take that in. I don't even know how to conceive that in my head forever and ever and ever. I don't know how to take in the fact that a sinner like me could be loved by him and him choose to give me out of the goodness of his inheritance. How he could choose to let me be seated with him in heavenly places. None of that stuff makes sense to me. It doesn't fit my logical mind. It doesn't fit my emotions. It doesn't fit my pattern of understanding things, but I choose to believe it all by faith. Amen. So we think about being in heaven forever. We're thinking today about that time, that time where time never ends, that time when God redeems all that has been broken. Isaiah 43 says, Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth, shall you not know it? I will make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the deserts. That truth applies for us, but it applies for heaven one day because we serve the God who turns mourning into dancing, who makes bones into armies, who brings beauty from ashes, turns graves into gardens, shame into glory, and turns seas into highways. If you remember that song we've been singing here, amen. So as we come to the end of our series today... We turn to the book of Revelation, to the passage that Brianna read earlier. Revelation 21. Turn there with me today. Follow along. You're free and encouraged to take pictures of a screen if that's your way of taking notes, whatever you need to do. Revelation 21. We've been following a man named John, one of the disciples, who, while on a prison island, while suffering for the faith he believed in, while suffering... While he preached the gospel, God pulls back the curtains of eternity and shows him things never before seen. And John does his best to write down what he sees. Things that are eternal, things that are hard to take in, John writes. As we come to the end of this book, we come to chapter 21. This section comes after the rapture. It comes after the bowls of wrath have been poured out upon the earth. It comes after the reward that we have been given for uh, being the saints of God. It comes after the judgment of unbelievers. It comes after the final judgment that will come to the Antichrist, to Satan himself when he's thrown into the lake of fire. And John writes something here that in some ways seems more stunning than anything he's written up to this point, anything he has seen up to this point. Revelation 21, verse 1. John says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no more See, Man, Revelation is filled with so many mysteries, so many things that are difficult for us to wrap our minds around. And John says, I looked up and I saw what looked like everything being made new, not just things on earth, but things above the earth, the sky, the stars. The planets, the universe, the heavens. He says, and the earth. He says, I, I saw a new earth, a completely different version of earth, like what we have, but he says it's different. He says, the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, they weren't there any longer. There was a different version of them, kind of like you. You are not the version of you that you used to be. Amen? Hopefully. I'm not what I used to be when I was in high school. I have gray hair now. Now, there's a lot of things about me that are a lot different since I was in high school. I met Jesus Christ after high school, and things begin to change for me. And they've changed along the way, a lot. That's what happens when you walk with him. He changes you. You become something new. I didn't stop being Brian Treadaway. I continued being me. But it was a new version of me. Here, John says, I saw all of a sudden a new earth and a new heaven. Everything was different. And one of the things about this new earth, he says, there was no more sea. There's no more oceans No more places that divided the lands. There was no more division between nations. There were no more depths that were mysterious. Everything's different on this new earth. Now, I don't know what your perspective of heaven has been up to this point. I don't know if you've had this vision of heaven kind of being like white and puffy clouds and subtle organ music playing, and you floating around with something that either ranges from a harp to electric guitar, depending upon who you are, and you just kind of float around, and somehow during all of that time, it's like an endless church service, and in your mind you're like, that's heaven? I would say, right, that's heaven? It's not any of that. Nowhere do you find that, that we are in some ethereal, mysterious floating state. It's not there. Nowhere do we find that we're all playing harps or guitars forever and ever and ever. It's not there. Here, John says, what marks eternity, the forever, is that there is a new heaven and there is a new earth. So where is this heaven that you and I have heard so much about? It's on earth. Amen, it is. That's taking you a moment. I understand you're trying to process all of that. It's right there. I didn't make it up. I'm not reading some twisted weird stuff to you. It's been there all along in scripture. He says it. I know you're looking. That's great. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is where we are made for. But it's a completely new version of earth. It's all different. It's not like today because God redeems broken things. Aren't you glad? He redeems broken lives, he redeems broken marriages. I've seen it. He redeems broken friendships, he redeems broken churches. He redeems broken nations who will come to him in repentance. And he redeems planet earth. Because here, all things are made new. The old has passed away. In that day, the world that we live in today will be made new. You see, what you and I live in now is a world infected and affected by sin. It's affected, in other words, by Death. Everything about this world is in a process of decay. Your house does not look as wonderful as it did 15 years ago. You might have had to put some new paint on it, but you probably had to replace some boards, some plumbing, some light fixtures along the way. We recently replaced the 1975 single bulb fixture that was hanging in a little dining area in our house. I'm serious. It was from that age. It was a long time back. It was so far out of date, it almost had come back into, into style. It was crazy. But that's what happened. Things here on the planet decay. That's why you got up this morning and you didn't feel like you did back when you got out of high school or when you were in high school. It didn't feel the same. Because this process we are in, we are in a world that is operating on the basis of sin and death. In other words, it's in decay Things go from order to chaos on the planet. Things go from new to old. Things go from young to decrepit. Things break down. It just does. It just happens that way. I hurt when I got up this morning. You did too, probably in some ways. That's what happens. We live in a world where there's that kind of decay. There's suffering. There's loss. There's death. There's confusion. There's brokenness. But here in this chapter, that all ends. We inherit a planet that has no more decay to it. Things do not age and decay, things do not break down, things do not move into chaos. Because in this day, Jesus is reigning and all things are made new. Heaven and this future are all on earth. And John goes on describing this in verse 2. It says, then I, John, it's like he had to write that just to reaffirm himself. This is me, John. I'm doing this. I'm seeing this. It's me, John. I saw the holy city. A new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Now, the New Testament loves to use this picture of a bride and a groom. It uses it in reference to us and Jesus, that we are the bride of Christ, And one day he will return to catch us away and take us to the place that he has been preparing for us. In the order of old Jewish wedding style, the groom would propose, begin this covenant relationship, not yet sealed physically and he would go away back to his father's house where he would add on a place to the father's house. And when the father said, your work is done now, son, go and get your bride. That son would leave and go back. And in the night with loud shouts, call his bride and the wedding party would come out and they would go back to the place of the father's house where there would be Seven days of celebrating. Man, that's a wedding party. And the Bible uses that to help us understand these end times. And here he refers to Jerusalem coming down, this city on this new earth, this new heaven. He says there's a city coming down, and it's just, it's glorious. He says, it's like at a wedding, when the bride comes into the room and the music swells and the lights turn and she's glorious, she's been dressed and prepared for this day and everybody looks and says, oh, you know, that moment right there? He said, that's what happens. He said, this, this new Jerusalem is coming down. Jerusalem, the place that's been the place of conflict, the place where there's been so much war, the place where there's been, where there's been division, where there's been fighting over whose it is, where there's been so much hurt, where there's been so much pain. All of a sudden, this place in brand new glory, God has restored and redeemed and it's coming down out of heaven like a beautiful bride adorned for her husband. Who's the husband? It's every believer who has put their faith in God. This city, this is the place This is what has come down from the Father. This is what has now become the place that you and I will dwell. This is the place that you dream about. This is the place that you long for, where there is no more pain, where there's no more suffering, where there is truth, where there is righteousness, where Jesus reigns on the throne, where the Father is there with his people. This is that place. Verse 3. John said, You know, I saw this, but what I heard next floored me. He said, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. John is overwhelmed at what he sees. He's overwhelmed at this announcement that now they'll no longer be representatives for God for man. There's no one that's in the place between us. There's no more distance that separates us. There's no more having to believe a promise because it all becomes sight in this moment. Everything that you and I have held on to and longed for and waited for and prayed for and dreamed about and can't wait for, every promise you believe all of a sudden becomes sight in this moment and God is with us. Now, we say that right now. we just saying the king is in this room, and we all believe that. We're all moved by that, and we should be. But there's something else about when you get to see what you've been waiting for face-to-face. Whew, man, when Heather and I were dating and engaged, there was a day I was looking forward to. Yeah, it was a wedding day. It's all right. Come on now. I was looking forward to that day. I wanted to see her face to face. I couldn't wait for that day to arrive. There's great joy in that. There's great delight in that. And here in this moment, this is what believers have waited for. This is what the book of Revelation all points toward. This is what all of the end times have been pointed towards. And here, as the Bible comes to a close, eternity begins to open. And now we get to experience the fullness of God being with us and us being with him. I love what it says next in verse 4. Look at this. Because it describes here what happens when we are together. It says, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Every pain that you felt, every loss that you've experienced, every injustice that you've gone through, everything today that fills you with angst and confusion and pain, the things that move you to tears here in this day. God is so close that he's able to walk up and wipe a tear from your eye. Do you know how close you have to be to wipe a tear from someone's eye? Not just close enough to touch it, but close enough to see it, that's close. And in this day, God is that kind of close to you and I so that he sees, he knows, and he caringly, compassionately wipes every tear from our eyes. He says, in that day, there shall be no more death. No more of the decay process. No more of the aging. Everything's different on this earth. And I'm glad for that. I'm glad for things not just staying new, but actually becoming newer as time passes. Now that would be trippy, wouldn't it? You buy something at the store and you come home from it, you look. Five years later, and it looks better than it did the day you installed it on your house. Man, that put Home Depot out of business. You go there once and you're done. It just gets better and better. Your house is better after 10 years than it was before, and you didn't do anything to it. It just kept improving. Here in this day, in this time, in eternity, with Jesus, there is no more death. There is no more decay. Instead, there is this other side of the scale where we are growing in understanding who he is, where we're growing in the depths of his glory, where we're growing in our relation with one another. There's no ups and downs and downs and downs and downs and up and maybe a lot more downs. No, it's only up from here. Ooh, no more death. No sorrow. No more hurting for someone else who's hurting. No more loss that you shake your head and say, it was too soon. It shouldn't have happened. There was so much more. Why did this have to happen? There's no crying in this place because everything has been made new. And there's no more pain. Can you imagine that? No more of the physical sensation of aging. No more of the agony of too much work yesterday, can't get out of bed today. No more pain. No more emotional pain. He says, for the former things have passed away. Everything has changed. A new heaven on a new earth. And God is there with us. It's a beautiful thing for God to be our God. And in that moment to be present and powerful and surrounding us, affectionate with us, tender with us, majestic in the presence of, of all who are there and filled with life. Verse 5. It says, Then he who sat On the throne said, Let me just read that one more time. Then he who sat on the throne said, One more time. Because now, this is not just John seeing something. This is not just John hearing something. This is not an angel's announcement. This is not the DJ at the wedding. This is the groom. Himself, this is our Savior, this is our King, and He is now speaking. And John says, I heard from the one who sat on the throne, and here's what he said. Behold, in other words, look, take a look around, look at everything. The king says, I make all things new and in that moment John's looking he's looking around he's looking at people whose lives have been broken he's looking at a planet earth that was filled in with with destruction he's looking at a heaven that wasn't what it was originally designed to be and in this moment it all reflects the glory of the king because he has made all things new fact Jesus said to him, now now John, I know you're caught up in this moment, but John, I want you to write this, for these words are true and they're faithful. John, write this. There's going to be people in time who are going to hear this. John, there's going to be people down through time who are going to follow me by faith. There are going to be churches in generations. There's going to be a church in Ovilla. Called vertical. And so people are going to be sitting in the room and they're going to need to hear a message of hope because every one of their lives are going to have some areas in it that they say, I see the corruption. I see the decay. I see the brokenness. John, write it down. I make all things new. Can you imagine? No more uncertainty. No more weakness, no more decay, no more tragedy, no more conspiracies, no more pull from beneath, no more waiting for promises to come to pass, no more faith. Faith believes in what is not seen. In this day, it's all seen. No more distance, no more deception, no more cruelty, no more rebellion, no more sin, no more loss, no more death, no more murder, no more division. In this day, we enter a brand new way and day of life. For some reason, as I was putting together this week, a story came to me. And I don't even know how the greatness of this story fits in, but I just felt this impression. I kind of like, all right, let's do this story. So I'm going to go all the way back to like the late 1960s. I'm at a daycare on Hampton Road in Oak Cliff. My parents drop me off there early in the morning. When it gets time for school, they put you in a van and the van takes you to the school. This was like, I mean, this had to be like a 1967 little Dodge van. And it's, it's, it's not nice by any means. You know, it's metal. All the interior's metal. The seats are some kind of cheap leather. And it's noisy. It rattles. The windows don't all close. But it's what i gotten used to. It's what everybody went to school in. We just got in this little van, and we made all of our trips to Lydaho, Rosemont, Oak you are you with me here this morning? And to George Peabody. Where I went. But there came a day all of a sudden where the daycare got a new van. I had never been in a new vehicle before at that point. We didn't have new vehicles in our family. And this daycare bought a brand new van. Now, in the late 1960s, it was something else. I'm sure it doesn't even compare to what's out today. But in the late 1960s, when I got into that van and the interior was plush and it was a dark blue and the seats were cushioned and the walls were padded and the windows all closed and they were a little bit tinted and they turned the heat on in there in the winter, and it was cold outside, and we'd go out there and get in that van and sit down in there. I was like, oh my word. This is crazy. I had never been in a new place like that. To this day, if I ever smell a new car, I go right back to that moment. I'm six years old, sitting in a daycare van, doing. What? <laughs> this is all new. It was still a van. It still had a steering wheel, an engine, four wheels, a driver, air conditioning, Had all that stuff. But boy, it had been made new. And I never forgot that. There's a day coming when all things will be made new. The things that you are walking through right now, that you that for you are unique to you. Everybody in this room has them. You've got the spots in your life that feel old. You've got the spots in your life that feel decay. You've got that broken relationship. You've got that past. You've got those issues going on. You've got enough stuff in your life. Everybody in the room where you say, man, I can't wait for that to be made new. Amen? That's all of us. That thing you're going through today that feels under the curse will be part of what in that day will cause you to say, God, you are good. And boy, this is all new. (laughs) That's what will happen on that day because Jesus makes all things new. And look here. Sometimes he does it in this life and sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes you can have all the faith that you would dream about having, and it still is not made new in this life. It'll be saved for that day, and it'll cause even greater joy in that day. And this is how you and I live in pursuit of that day. Our everything is not all in this life, it's not. I want to try to live by faith and follow God's ways here in this world to the best of my abilities to love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and my neighbors, myself. But I know that in this life I am not going to see every promise fulfilled. There's going to be some things that won't be made new until that day. In that day, in verse 6, it says that that Jesus will be able to say it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirst." Jesus will say, this is what it's always been about. This is what I had planned from the beginning. It didn't catch me by surprise what Adam and Eve did. It was all part of the plan And this is what it has been about. Jesus will say, I was at the beginning, and here I am at the end. And we're starting over again to something even greater. And I will give to all who come, all who will thirst. You can have this water. This is what we are all about as a church today. This is what we teach and preach. This is why we are called Vertical Church, because we are passionate about getting people to this place. We want people to know and experience vertical life now, but even more so then. This is what we are about. And proclaiming the truth of Jesus Christ is more important than being popular Today. Stay with me here. Preaching the truth is more important than being popular today. We are not interested in being popular because if you want to be popular, you've got to give up on some convictions. You've got to go with the crowd. You've got to hold back and not be so straightforward. You've got to play the room. That's not what we're called to. We're called to preach the gospel, no matter what, speak the truth, regardless, speak it in love, but speak it. And we are committed to that because we want people to be in that day and experience hearing Jesus say, I make all things new. So we're willing to risk being popular for the sake of seeing people be set free from their sin. I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to not be the hot commodity. I'm willing to be the one that others laugh at and talk about because we're called to preach the truth. We're willing to denounce sin, call it out, call it like it is, and not be soft on it not hold back from it, not try to just love everybody. Proclaiming truth is more important than our comfort. We're a comfort-based culture, but the gospel demands that we be able to and have a passion to be willing to be uncomfortable, to put yourself into some awkward conversations with family and friends and the world. To put yourself into some settings where you say the truth is more important than me fitting in in this crowd right now. We don't cave into the pressure from the world today that says, can't you just be quiet? Can't you just get back in your spot? Can't you just keep out of the culture? No, we can't. Our command from Scripture demands that we not. If it costs us our ease, if it costs us our comfort, if it costs us our popularity, so be it, we will preach the truth. Proclaiming truth is more important than our safety. We don't hide, we don't fear, we don't run. Jesus set his face like a flint, the Bible says, on his way to the cross, like a hard stone. He set his face toward the cross and said, this is what I'm called to. I cannot go anywhere else but there. This is what you and I must be willing to do in our day. I'm called to be the light of the world, salt of the earth, ambassadors of reconciliation in this day. I must and I will stand for truth. Verse 7. He who overcomes shall inherit all things. I will be his God, and he'll be my son. Mm. Comforting words for us who are following, obeying, sacrificing. The last verse I want us to look at today will at first appear a bit troublesome to you. But instead, I believe in it. We see the greatest glory of God Manifested. Verse 8. Heaven will be great for what's there, but it'll also be great for what's not there. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second. Death, this list reveals the righteousness of God and the glory of God. If you and I somehow downplay this list, if we somehow say, well, I'm sure he'll just be understanding. I mean, he is all God, you know. No, if you attempt to downplay this list, then you downplay the severity of the cross. You downplay the greatness of salvation, and you downplay the greatness of heaven. It is one thing to sin. It's another thing to live in a lifestyle of sin, and these words and terms and description here describe those who will not be in heaven, those who are cowardly, Those who are more concerned about their own safety than their salvation. Those who are more concerned about what other people think about them than when God thinks about them. Those who live in uncertainty and fear who are cowardly. The Bible says they will not be in this place. Those who are unbelieving... Those who choose in defiance to say, I will choose my way. I will not walk in God's ways. I do not believe his laws. I do not walk in his path. I'm not interested in that stuff. They will not be there. The abominable. It's a word that means someone who's full of arrogance and rebellion. The person who just completely snubs their nose at God. The person who just plays plays him and goes on and live their life and says, I'll do what I want to. I don't care about all of that stuff. He says they won't be there. Murderers. Those who take the life of another. Those who out of greed... Those who out of anger take innocent lives, whether it be those who send them to a tomb or those who take it in the womb, they will not be there. That's not a message we're soft on. That's a message we must stand on. There is forgiveness for those who repent, but there is judgment for those who continue on in their sin. The list is clear. The sexually immoral, those who refuse to keep the covenant of God, those who refuse to keep the plan of God, one man, one woman for life until death do us part. Those who will not keep that plan will not be there. You can come up with whatever soft version you want of the gospel that says he'll understand and you'll be wrong. The gospel's clear, the scripture are, is clear. Homosexuality is sin, sex outside of marriage is sin. And if you continue in it without repenting of it, you will not experience heaven with Christ sorcerers those who practice witchcraft who seek after false gods who seek experiences outside of faith what's fascinating to me is this word here for sorcery is the same word that is translated in our modern culture as pharmaceuticals look it up Those who seek experiences apart from faith as their hope and answer. Those who turn and make that their idol, their escape, will not be there. Those who are idolaters, who give their heart to everything but God in worship. Those who are liars, those who deny, they cover, they blame, they're arrogant. They refuse to tell the truth and believe the truth. John is clear in what he writes here, and he's writing what he's hearing from Jesus. The message of the gospel today is not this. Listen. The message of the gospel is not, let's all just love one another and get along. Why can't we? That's not the gospel The message of the gospel is not let's all just be nice and good and feed the poor, can't we? That's not the gospel. The gospel is not well, God understands your sin, you know. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not well, we're all just on a little journey, you know. We're just trying to all get there. No. There is one way to the Father through Jesus Christ. There is one way to Jesus Christ by repenting of your sin. If you're going to march boldly up into his presence with sin covering your life, don't expect to receive anything from him. He calls us to repentance, and only then is there life. Only then is there redemption. Only then is there salvation. And only then do you have access into heaven with him forever and ever. It's the message of the gospel. And this is the message you and I must speak out today. This is not our time to be soft on sin. I'm afraid we've got to this place today because of church has been soft on sin. If you want to talk to me about that, my own past experiences, which I am guilty of, I'll talk to you afterwards. To be soft on sin is to rob the cross of its terror To be soft on sin is to rob heaven of its glory. Therefore, the gospel is this. Man has sinned. Sin brings death. Your only hope is through repentance of your sin and faith in Jesus Christ. For those who refuse that, there is a lake of fire that burns forever and ever, and ever. But for those who believe, there is heaven with the Savior. There is no more condemnation for your sin. There's only life with Him that goes on and on, forever and ever. This is why the book of Revelation ends with the words that say, even so, Come, Lord Jesus. That's our cry today. Amen? I'm ready for that. I'm ready to be done. The pain, the suffering, the confusion, the resistance today, the rebellion. I have this mixed feel of compassion and conviction that I believe we're both to have. Compassion for those who still refuse but conviction that we will not yield, we will not bend. There is only one way to the Father through the Son, Jesus Christ. Now, at the end of our service today, you're going to get to see a baptism. You're going to see a child who has experienced the very things we've talked about today. We've been doing some baptisms here ever since we got back together as a church. We prayed, Lord, Fill up these weekends with baptisms, with new life, and he's been doing it. So I would encourage you today, as you're hearing this message, as you see this baptism in a little while, if you come to this moment and you say, Oh, my God, I have believed a lie. I have... Totally misread the gospel, and now I'm ready to repent of my sin and believe Jesus Christ. Do not miss this day, if He is speaking to you today. Cry out to Him, repent of your sin, receive what He's done for you, and live for Him. If you've done that and you haven't been baptized yet, come see me. We need to talk. We want to celebrate with you. We want to set you on the course. We want to show you what vertical life looks like. It begins there. With the confession before all, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm grateful for heaven someday. Amen? Amen. I'm grateful for life now in him, and I can't wait for that forever with him. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you that in spite of what is going on in our world today, in spite of the chaos, the confusion, the rebellion, and the resistance, and the defiance against your word, and your truth, and your spirit, that you are still about the business of redeeming. You still take lives who come to you thirsty, who come to you needing something more, You still receive them. You still love them. You still forgive them. Father, for those in this room this morning that are at that place that are thirsty, I pray they'd have the courage to take that step to drink in what you have for them. And for us as your church, I pray these days would not be days of fear for us. I pray these days would not be days of uncertainty for us. I pray these days would not be ones that cause us to pull back, shy away, but instead to stand up in great boldness, in great confidence, declaring your truth. I thank you that you have set us free by the one way, Jesus Christ. And it's to him that we give all glory, all honor, and all praise this morning. I thank you for new life. I thank you for the one who's coming to be baptized today. I thank you for hope. Even in these end times, we give you all the glory. I pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,
1: Amen. Amen. Amen, amen. church. What a Sunday we've had. Uh, We are so glad that y'all are here to worship with us this morning. If this is your first time, we would love to meet you. Come and meet us at the Worship Center. Sorry, this is the Worship Center at the Welcome Center uh, following the service. Uh, This is Connie. I'm Roseanne, and these are your announcements. We would like to thank you for your continued giving at this time. We want to remind you that there are several ways, four ways in exact, to give at this time. Uh, there's uh, the art through our website, verticalchurchovilla.com. <laughs> there's also text to give, and then, of course, you can send a check to 3333 Ovilla Road. And then, last is we have a donation box there at the front in the Welcome Center. I love that text to give. It's so easy. It is. Gotcha. It is yeah. Um, we also want to tell you about the Next Step Lunching that's coming up. If you have been wanting to become a member and learn about what Vertical has to offer our ministries and the ministries that we support as well, we invite you to once again come to the Welcome Center uh, and sign up for that, and we'll get you set up. Lunch and childcare are provided, and you can also sign up online. So, yeah, yeah. Next Step. <laughs> Uh, if you would like to declare your faith and continue your walk with Jesus, we would love to um, to help you do that. If you'll meet Brian or Matt down here at the at the at the end of this worship, uh, welcome to do that. Yes, and we want to remind you about the event coming up on October eighteenth at six. We're so excited to have David Barton come and talk. He is a uh, he's an authority and also a, a sought after and respected author speaker. He's got a, he's a radio host. Um, he does a YouTube channel, so many things that talk about our heritage and what we are based on biblically, uh, and that our values and everything that we have. Um, You know, I forgot my words. But (laughs) we have a video that we're going to watch for that, and then I'll tell you more about it.
2: When you look at who to vote for and how it relates to the rights of conscience, You have to understand what our Declaration of Independence says. Our founding document, it sets forth five principles of government. And anyone who goes into government is to support those five principles. And the first principle there, it says that there is a moral law. It was called the laws of nature and nature's God. Between the Bible and nature, we know what right and wrong is. We can tell. God tells us clearly, don't steal and don't kill and don't purge. That's a moral law. So we start with a moral law that comes from God. The second thing says, oh, by the way, there is a God. So we acknowledge that there is a Creator. The third thing the Declaration tells us is that God gives us a certain set of inalienable rights, like life and like liberty, and the right of self-defense, and the right for association and free speech. Those are God-given rights. The fourth thing that the Declaration says is government exists primarily to protect God-given rights. And the fifth thing is that below that, you get to vote on everything else. So you don't get to vote on morals. You don't get to vote on what your rights are. God gives those to you. But you can vote on how wide the sidewalk should be or what the speed limit should be, etc. That, that's fine. Now, when it comes to electing someone, if you elect someone... That says, I don't believe you should have rights of conscience. I don't, I don't think that you should be able to choose what weddings you want to be part of. I don't think you should be able to choose whether your health care does not cover abortion. Or, we don't think you should do that. That's a real problem because now you're violating what the purpose of government is. And the purpose of government is to make sure I have the right to practice my God given beliefs. And one of those is the rights of conscience. And if you've got an official saying, well, I don't believe you have a right of conscience, that's a person you don't want near government because they will also take away your other rights as well.
1: is going to be such an awesome night. Just watching that clip makes you feel empowered to know what we're based on and what we're built on. It's going to be awesome. I know I'm going to be there. Yes, for sure. Yes. So come and see us October 18th at 6 p.m. here at Vertical. Also, this will replace the night classes we have that night. So, yeah. And those are your Vertical announcements.
0: Awesome. Let me take one of those microphones. Very good. Let me introduce to you today, Mr. Bryce Mawinney and his daughter, Ella. Yeah. Make it sound like it's the beginning of a basketball game or something. Ella! Hey, but it's a big deal. This is bigger than any basketball game right here. Bryce, tell us about Ella and her decision.
3: All right. Well, this is Ella Grace. She is our oldest, and she is eight years old. And it's been incredible to watch her grow. I'm very privileged to be her dad Um And she, over the last few months, has become very proactive in asking about Baptism and what it means, and wanting to do it. She's grown up here and seen baptisms happen. She's just wanting to know more about the process and what it means, and what it means to be born again and be saved. And lots of conversations with mom and with me, and we've taken her through you know Scripture with John and Romans, and she made the decision. She's like, "I believe in Jesus. I, I know that I've I know that I've messed up, and." I need him. And the only way to do that and have eternal life is through Jesus. And she truly believes that and has prayed for Jesus to be in her heart. Amen. And so then we also talk about baptism and what it means. And that gets, it's a really fun time where we get to show everyone that, hey, this is what I believe. This is a bold declaration And I want you all to be a part of it with me. We have family watching online. We have family here, all of our friends, and they'll all get to see it. And it's so amazing for me. And Ella, I want you to know what an example you are, not only for our family, but there's other people in here that need to see you do this as well and watching online. And it's going to help other people make this decision as well. And So I'm just so excited for you that we get to do this today. That way. Perfect. Yep, just like that. So, as your dad, I also now, as believers, when we're born again, we actually are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ together. So, even though I'm your dad, I'm excited to get to baptize you as my sister in Christ. So, we're going to baptize you. I'm going to bury you in him through baptism. And raised to walk in newness of life.
0: Amen, amen. All right, that is awesome. Hey, why don't you remain standing? We'll be dismissed this morning, but as we do, I want to ask a couple to come stand down here at the front. Bobby Mathers and her husband, Kenneth. Y'all come stand down here. I don't know if you remember uh, several weeks ago, Charity Mathers was baptized up here. Right after that, we got a phone call because her mom went into the hospital. This lady right here. And there were some days that we were uncertain as to what her future would be. But we have prayed, God has heard, and she is here today. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. Now, it's tough going through all that. It's tough being a husband, watching all that, isn't it? It's tough. So we're going to pray for them this morning, that God would continue to heal, restore, and provide for all their needs. So why don't y'all stand here? Family, y'all come stand as well. And whoever would like to come stand with them, just to put an arm on a shoulder, you are welcome to. I'm going to pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are still doing miracles today. You are changing lives you are transforming hearts, the greatest miracle that has ever been known, and you are healing. You are healing bodies. You are restoring hope. And so I thank you for Bobby. I thank you what you've done in her life, that you've restored her health, but you've restored her hope in you, even more importantly. I pray as she continues to heal, that you will be the one who restores and provides for all of her needs and for her husband as well. As he leads and guides, I pray you would give him direction and confidence and comfort. And Father, for us this week as a church, I pray we'd stand in all that you've called us to be, unashamed and with great boldness declaring that Jesus is Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. A Vertical Church, we close by saying this. Lift him up and... All right, we'll see you all next week.